I don't know if you can believe this, but some weeks are just depressing. They're just depressing. And this was kind of one of those weeks for me in, in some ways. And I want you to understand that it has absolutely nothing to do with our church. Everything about our church was wonderful and sweet and full of, full of gladness. And, um, you know, it's like I, I wish sometimes all the wonderful conversations that I have in a week with our church I could just share with you. You know, and you, you could see, I, I don't really have the privilege to do that, you know. So it's really important, as God grows you, that you share his work of grace with each other, because it's not just for me, you know. It's not just for me. But, um, I mean, here's just one, here's one, here's one of many examples I could share with you this week of God's grace at work in the heart and lives of our church. This was a poem uh, sent to me by one of the children of our church, or a, a psalm, it's titled, With Joyful Noises. All the waves sing in praise. The trees lift up their arms. Animals lift up their voices. Praise the Lord with joyful noises. The flowers lift up their heads to you, giving glory to God in all they do. All the mountains tremble with fear when the Lord of hosts draws near. Man. But God is merciful and kind So love Him with your heart and soul and mind. Praise the Lord with all your voices. Praise the Lord with joyful noises. The mighty, holy Trinity, He reaches to infinity. Whole nations tremble before His hand. Men of power throughout the land. And all the masses, big and strong, gather voices to sing along. Satan in his evil ways tries to lead the men astray, but praise the Lord with all your voices. Praise the Lord with joyful noises. That's just so beautiful. It's just good to see. It's so good, right? To see God's work and grace in the lives of the children of our church. And so um, I I want you to understand some weeks are depressing, but my gladness is in the humility of our church and in God's grace and work in the life of, uh, of our church family. But um, some things are still just depressing. And, and Psalm 69 was given to me by another pastor this week, and I just found it so healing. I found it so healing and so meaningful and so sweet and so true. And I was trying to prepare to preach the cross, and I just didn't feel like I could do any justice to it at all. And, uh, but Psalm 69 was on my heart, and so that's what you're getting. Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is a lament of King David. It's, let's just read the whole thing, and then we'll dive into it. To the choir master, according to the lilies of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, must I now restore? O God, 
You know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. Why? For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. Surprising, don't you think, that when you humble yourself, everybody should praise you? When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to You, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of Your steadfast love. Answer me in Your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, For your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Think Jesus, right? Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May there can't be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom you have struck down. And they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. When they see people magnifying God from their hearts with thanksgiving. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise His own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise Him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. And people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of His servants shall inherit it and those who love His name shall dwell in it. Father, may You bear fruit. Holy Spirit, teach us, instruct us in Your way. 
May we know more of who you are in your ways, and may we know the experience of the people of God, and may it comfort us. May we identify with your church down through the ages, from the very beginning, who called on the name of the Lord, and who suffered for it. And may we bear up under it, because you are our shield, and you are full of loving kindness and mercy to us. Help us and encourage our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 69 is a lament of King David. Um, It's quoted in the New Testament at least seven times. I'll mention a couple of them as we work through it. And it's very specifically messianic. And what I mean by that is it's all about Jesus. And in um, certainly a sense in which all the Psalms are about Jesus. And they all have some messianic sense to them. But there's others that are very specifically and particularly directed um, to teach us about Jesus. And so um, I also kind of found it, as I read Psalm 69 numerous times, I, I found it appropriate, given that we're in Luke and we're looking at the cross of Christ. And we're seeing in Jesus how innocent he was and how much reproach he bore for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his father, and how he was reproached, those who hate me without cause. They reproach me with your reproaches. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And so I found it appropriate to spend some time here in Psalm 69 thinking about that. And I want you to think about something. Because, and I tell you this all the time, just with different words, But what is so wanted and so common today is we want a disinfected Christ. We want a disinfected Christ and a disinfected Christian life. And we want uh, it all sanitized, sanitized, so that the reality of life isn't actually something that we actually experience. Because the reality of life is actually terrifying. It's actually terrifying. Your children know this. There's a point where they realize they're growing up in a sin-cursed world. And they realize at some point that there are things that are dangerous. And they realize at some point that um, there, are, there are evil men. And so uh, our fear of actually dealing with reality of life before God kind of wants to disinfect everything. know there's like limits to the kind of mess we will tolerate and there's um, limits to you know the kinds of sins Christians can commit and there's you know I don't know you know what I'm talking about disinfected and sanitized and very clean cleaned up but I want you to think about this who wrote this This is King David. This is King David. Is there anything about this that is disinfected and sanitized? I mean, I had the thought as I was thinking about this, I was like, we have hand sanitizer everywhere now. 
And I think that's what we've been doing in the church's life for the last couple generations. It's just been squeezing sanitizer on our hearts and lives so that everything's just nice and neat and pretty and clean. Well-oiled machine, we should be, they say. And here's King David. I mean, what a king. What a king. You see the sincerity and honesty and devotion to God here in King David? And this is the song. This is a song of the church. This is a song that you would sing and worship. And still, in the church of Jesus Christ, and still, we're able to separate ourselves from all that Scripture teaches and all that the saints experience and put it in Bible and Bible characters, and remove ourselves from it, and think it never has anything to do with the nature of our life. And if it does have something to do with the nature of our life, what do you do? What is wrong with you? And can you imagine being close to King David and how you would have tried to process this reality? How could he even be a king? Wow, he doesn't seem very temperate. There's David again. He's just on an emotional roller coaster again. I mean, can't you see yourself just flinging every imaginable judgment under the sun at King David here? A couple implications that this is King David and faithfulness in worship to God. First is just to know that the experience of Psalm 69 was normal. It was normal for him. And as of a type, as a messianic type of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, is this not the most normal experience of our Lord Jesus Christ? Then what of us? What of us? normal. So Christians used to know that the experience of Psalm 69 was normal. Christians also used to know that the experience of Psalm 69 was normal for church leaders. This is David. He's a king. So sometimes, guess what? It's a really depressing week.
Christians used to give their love to suffering saints. They used to give their love to suffering saints. Now what do we do? Judgment upon judgment upon judgment. I often think about, we'll work through the text at some point, but sometimes I feel like I have to kind of give us some context to process properly. But I often think about my mom's church. And, you know, 25 years till they got their own building. It's a church full of repentant addicts. I mean, if you can imagine how much chaos is in a church full of repentant addicts. Everybody trying to get their life back together. And it's very humble. It's a very humble place. I, when we go up to Lafayette, um, it's like, I don't agree with, I'm not going to agree with every point of doctrine, but for crying out loud, I just enjoy it. <laughs> I just enjoy it because it's humble. And here you have simple people giving thanks to God. And there is no snobbery. There's no snobbery. What is one addict going to judge the other one? (laughs) There's there's just no snobbery. And it's simple and sweet. And Jesus is worshipped. And you know what? The people love each other. Why? Why do they love each other? Well, it's obvious because He was forgiven much loves much. And He who has been forgiven little loves little. And when you've wrecked your life and burned every relational bridge, and you find Jesus is the one still loving you, and Jesus is the one who went to a cross for you, and Jesus is the one who will forgive you of that mess when everybody else is completely done with you, I mean, the only thing you can do is just give your love to Jesus and to all the other people Jesus has given His love to. I mean, what other option do you have? Your heart's just bursting with it. You know how wicked you've been. And it's obvious to everybody else too. It's not even like you can hide it. Not even like you can be a sneaky, disinfected Christian in our church. You know? I mean, what would you have if you had a church full of repentant prostitutes? Well, you'd have a lot of chaos and you'd have a lot of love. But the point being, the reason I'm sharing that is because I remember my mom was telling me one time, she's like, yeah, yeah the, uh, the associate pastor got up this morning and said, Tom's not going to be preaching for a few weeks. He's depressed and just isn't hearing the voice of God right now. And you know what? That was just wonderful. <laughs> it was just wonderful. And no one batted an eye. No one thought anything of it. No one thought a thing of it. You know? Only preached seven funerals in the last two weeks of OD'd addicts. Family members usually of somebody in the congregation.
waging war constantly against the enemies of the church. You know, no one batted an eye at it. And I just have always loved that story. Because I just think, that's exactly the way the church should be. And that's the way the church should be in regards to being a pastor. It's just the way the church should be. You know? It's like sometimes that's just the way it is. So live in reality. I guess that's my command to you. Live in actual reality. You know, it's like when King David wrote this psalm, are you ready to dethrone him? You know, you know, and you know that one of the battles I've fought, it's like wrestling a steer by hand, with him, just by hand. It's like wrestling a steer by hand, right? You know the battle I've fought with most of you is against your pride. You know that that's the battle I've fought with most of you. For others of you, that's not as much the battle. But you know that the battle I've fought with most of you has been your pride over the years. And I just think, why do I want to get the steer to the ground so hard, so badly? Because life is just a lot more peaceful when you just settle down about yourself. The steer's on the ground and finally calm. They realize there's some value in being a little more calm, a little more restful, a little more settled not having to bucket everything. Actually experiences much more blessing in that state. You know, think about, think about domesticating a stallion. Bucking at everything in stubborn self-will. Constantly irritated by its master commanding anything of it. Constantly irritated by it. And yet, when its will is broken, it becomes peaceful and restful and wonderful. Why am I saying all of this? Well, it was normal for David. It's been normal for the faithful. It was normal for Jesus. I mean, this is all about Jesus. It was normal for Jesus. And this will be normal for me, and it will be normal for you. And sometimes the, the truth of Psalm 69 will be, feel like more of your reality than at other times. But at some point, this will be your reality if you follow Christ. And so it's a beautiful psalm here. And so the psalm, this sermon is a bit of kind of an experiential sermon, I guess. And some seasons are just full of the reproaches of enemies. They're just full of them. And sadly, they come more from professed Christians and professing pastors than usually from the world. And remember, it was the Jews who crucified Jesus Even the Gentile Pilate showed some level of willingness to release him. 
And it's always going to be that way. It's always going to be that way. You know, and it's more painful that way because, I mean, the world screams at you. I mean, that's what you expect to happen. You know, the world hates you without cause, and you th- it's like, eh, I mean, <laughs> what else was going to happen? You know, but when it's Christians and pastors and churches who hate you, These are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. These are supposed to be the family of God. These are supposed to be the ones who understand truth. These are the ones who are supposed to be friends. And yet their kisses are the kisses of an enemy. And their flattery is given with war in their heart. And anybody who has any discernment can just see right through the whole charade. For David, he wasn't concerned about Egypt right now. Cursings from Egypt weren't what was bothering him. We don't know the whole background of Psalm 69, but for the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me, right? And right before that, he says, I become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my brother's sons. In any faithfulness to Jesus, and you'll know exactly what that means. experiencing this reality and he turns to God in faith and he says save me oh God David needs saved he needs delivered save me oh God for the waters have come up to my neck I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold so the scenario is um, think about yourself in maybe a couple different situations one is you're in a tidal pool and it's muddy, and the tide's coming in, and you're kind of in a quicksand. And in quicksand, your foot can't get a foothold real easily. And any movement, it slowly keeps sinking down. And at the same time that it's sinking down, the tide's coming in. And he's sinking down, and the tide is rising, and so the water has come up to his neck. Or... In a second, he's gonna, he speaks of floodwaters. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. You know, think about if you were walking along a, you know, a dry desert riverbed. And one of the most dangerous things about a dry desert riverbed is flash flooding. Because when rain comes from the north, it just wipes out everything um, in a flash flood. And if you're stuck in the mud and you're in a desert where you're calling out for help and no one can hear your call. 
You know, how desperately are you going to be calling when your feet are stuck in the mud and the water is coming up to your neck? You know you're at the very end of life. And he's screaming, Help! Help! Save me, O God! He knows that there's nothing anyone else can do. He knows no one can do anything. I have come into deep waters. The flood sweeps over me. Of course, I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched because I'm nearing the point of death. My eyes grow dim because I'm waiting and I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm watching for God's salvation and I'm watching for God's deliverance and I'm watching and I'm waiting and my eyes are growing tired of the watching with waiting for my God. Well, what is, that's the, this is the, this is the picture of what it feels like David is experiencing. So what is, what is making him have that sense about the nature of his life? What's giving him that sense is verse 4. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me. Those who attack me with lies. So what's happening here is people are lying about Him. They're speaking falsely about Him. What they speak is without cause. You know, think about you remember the whole fiasco with the whole world and Mike Pence saying he only like eats alone lunch with his wife or something like that? And the whole world exploded. Whoa! You're like, what a radical concept. <laughs> and the whole world explodes. Speaking lies about him without cause, right? Should have said Vice President Pence. What I did not steal, must I now restore? This is what enemies always want. Enemies want you to make some sort of restitution for something that you didn't even do. I don't want to get into how that might have a million applications right now in our culture. Kind of just put that down. But there's millions of ways in which that's true. There's millions of ways in which the enemies of God always demand something from somebody to make something right that they're not guilty for. And this is King David's experience. So, how could he possibly say? Is there no humility in David when he says, they hate me without cause? Is there no humility? Has David forgotten that he's a sinner? Verse 5, Oh God, you know my folly. The point here is that David's not, not a sinner. The point isn't that David's entirely innocent. Though in the messianic sense, that is true of Jesus. 
It's not true of the lesser David, but it is certainly true of the greater David. Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. In other words, it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm sinless. It just has to do with the fact that they're constantly slandering and reproaching and lying, and it's without cause. Quoted in John chapter 15. I'll read it to you. If the world hates you, Jesus said, know that it has hated me before it hated you. That is just so important to remember. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. This is why churches try to become like the world, so the world loves them. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In what we experience in faithfulness to Jesus today is persecution. Don't listen to the snobbish Christians who constantly want to say, it's not persecution because you're not being slaughtered on a beach somewhere. Then you come up with a word for it. What's your word for suffering as a Christian and faithfulness in the United States today? What's your biblical word for it? Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did... They would not be guilty of sin, but now they have been seen and hated both me and my father, guilty of the sin of hating me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Psalm 69. They hated me without a cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me. Isn't that how? I mean, just think, think about it culturally for a second. Doesn't it just feel like mighty are those who would destroy me as kind of, you know, as kind of the sense of darkness that we have all grows against us in our own nation? Mighty are those who would destroy me. And it's like the, it's like it feels like the floodwaters are rising. And so even if you didn't have a week like I had, even if you weren't thinking about the Christian life the way I was this week, you're going to be at some point forced to think like that. And Psalm 69 is your medicine. It's your medicine. This is where you go and where you turn and where your heart is healed. Turn to the God of Psalm 69. Verse 6. So he's... It, it's, let, me, let me say this. Oh God, you, you know my folly. The wrongs that I have done are not hidden from you. The point is not that he's sinless. 
But the point is also not that the reproach is because of his sins. In, in, when, it's, when he's saying this, God, you know my folly, it's essentially he's saying, you know my folly, but you also know that what they're doing isn't true. Because what the reproach is coming for is his humility and his repentance and his righteousness. That's why the reproach is coming. Not because he's sinless, but because he's righteous. Those two things go together. But he kind of feels the, he kind of feels for everybody around him. You know? Kind of feels for everybody around them. Trust me, I feel for you. I feel for you. I feel for you. And some of you have gone through terrible things. And what I I fear for you is I don't know what you're gonna have to walk through if you actually follow scripture. I mean, if you follow Scripture and what I teach you from Scripture, simple things that Christians have always taught and always believed. I mean, I teach nothing profound here. Nothing. And what does he say? He says, let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. O Lord God of hosts, let, th- let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. Why? Because it's for your sake that I have borne reproach. That dishonor has covered my face. See, it's His righteousness. It's for the sake of God. We would say, it's for the sake of Christ and His name. I'm walking in the footsteps of Jesus and I'm bearing reproach for it. And I just... It's like we have no discernment to look at pastors who do everything they can to coddle the world. And celebrate when they get an article in the newspaper that of course the newspaper is going to publish... It's entirely the side of the Christian life that they would be willing to publish. It's just coddling the world. I mean, there's a lot of things I could get published in the Herald Times. Maybe I could celebrate how great the Herald Times is because they're so open to real truths from Scripture. Oh, for crying out loud. What are we doing? Everything is about making sure that for the sake of Christ, we are not reproached. Because the moment you're reproached, you are the proud, arrogant fool who has failed. And I just think, how is that Christ-like at all? He died on a cross! The most humble man in the history of the world, they shouted, crucify him! Crucify Him! Hated me without cause. Of who could that be truer than Jesus Christ our Lord? We just stick to Scripture. 
Because you know what? It doesn't take much to be hated. Look, what does it take? For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach. The dishonor has covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. Now here's the temptation for you. When you are in conflict and alienation for your faith with your family, the temptation will be to stop following Jesus. That will be the temptation. The temptation will be to love your family and make sure you have peace in every way with your family to make sure there's no alienation with your family. And yet, the humble, for the sake of Christ, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. I'm more worried about the person who has peace with everybody in their family all the time than I am with the person who has conflict with their family who's a Christian. I'm not saying you have to unnecessarily all the time be irritating. But I'm just saying, all you got to do is have zeal for God's house. Verse 9, for zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. So one of the reasons is King David says, for zeal for your house has consumed me. I mean, if you fight in love for the bride of Christ... And what is the zeal for? Do you know where this is quoted in the New Testament? It's quoted in the New Testament in John 2.17 when Jesus has used the whip to drive everyone out of the temple. That's when it's used. For zeal for your house has consumed me. What is the zeal for? The zeal is not for man's big visions and man's big dreams and man's big movements. The zeal is for the purity and godliness and humility and love and simple devotion to God in His worship. That's what Jesus is destroying in the temple. Get everything out that's not that. Zeal for your house has consumed me. I kept thinking as I was trying to think about the nature of Christ making a whip of cords. And him walking into the temple and whipping it all over the place to actually cleanse the temple. That is absolutely mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. And I just thought, this is the humility of Jesus. This is humility. But that's not how you think about humility. The way you think about humility is if someone's nice. That's it. It's your only standard of what humility is. And Jesus has a whip in the temple, and this is humility. No, Jesus didn't do that every single day. That wasn't the only thing he did. But when he needed to do that, he did that because he wanted simple, prayerful devotion to God in God's house. And so the goal, zeal for your house has consumed me, is all about the purity and godliness of the church. And all we have today is guys who go on and on about how good their liturgy is and how it's better than other churches. And it's just ad nauseum nonsense. That's that's the zeal for God's house that's consumed them. They're restoring worship to God because they got the songs in the right order.
verse 10. This is the story of our church. You will suffer if you are, verse 10. Zeal for your house has consumed me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. Your humility before God in obeying His commands. Your humility before God in obeying His commands and living the Christian life. Denying myself, taking up my cross, following Jesus, obeying His commands. Your humility in that will be your reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. When I repented, I became a byword. God and the angels rejoice when you repent, come to Christ for the first time, but you will be a byword to men. And that will also be true in your sanctification. As you grow in humility and continue to grow in humbling yourself under the commands of God, you will be a byword. Our church will be a byword just for trying to grow in humility in obedience to the commands of God. We will be a byword. I will be a byword. Ready for a pastor who's going to be a byword? It's just the way it is. I don't, know how, I don't know how you can walk out reading Psalm 69 and not think that that's true somehow. This is what God says. This is about Jesus. not even about us in the first sense. It's about Jesus. He humbles himself all the way to the cross. And what do they say? You can save yourself if you're the Messiah. Save yourself if you're the Son of God. Come down from that cross. Greatest moment of humility in the history of humanity that will ever be, and he's a byword. But no, not, not, that will never happen to us. Only Jesus. You know this is true. You know this is true. I just, I think, in a lot of ways, this is the story of our church. This is like, I feel like this psalm summarizes the last ten years of my life. As God humbles me, I have more enemies and lose more friends. I mean, I've lost a lot of friends. Just to try to do basic, simple pastoral care and ministry. Which they absolutely refuse to do. They work really hard to keep their job and make sure they get significant pay raises. They absolutely refuse. And you know you see this everywhere. And it's so depressing. And so some weeks it's just depressing. A little overboard. It's gone a little overboard. A little extreme. Is that the problem? Or are you just faithless? 
You know, it's like trying to get some of my friends to just guard their sheep to some kind of air. Just something. Sometimes I'd just be happy if you just guard your sheep from something. And you get up and you preach these wonderful sermons that are way better than anything I could ever preach, honestly. Way better than anything I could ever preach. Week after week, incredible sermons. And their church is completely unguarded to every air under the sun because you have no zeal for the truth. There's J.C. Ryle who said, a man who isn't zealous to guard against error is probably not zealous much for the truth. This is just simple, old stuff. Basic Christianity. It's like you humble yourself and you lose all your friends. You know? It's like, what did they think about me? When I was on the phone with the leaders of like the Great Commission Collective and trying to tell them, we're going because you guys aren't taking your repentance seriously. I mean, you could just hear on the phone how much they thought we were the self-righteous ones. It's just like, no, it's not about self-righteousness. It's just... This is horrible. (laughs) This is horrible. You're treating God's sheep terribly. Those who attack me with lies. And then they run to the nth degree with that, right? No, this is just... I just want to see you humble yourself a little bit more and not just be an egotistical maniac in the pulpit. That's it. That's it. That's all I want. Just humble yourself a little bit. Man, I just wouldn't ever want to go back to that. And so I just have this jealousy or zeal. I want to see other guys come out of that because the love in the churches will be much, much better and much, much sweeter and much more humble. And their witness to Christ will be far more glorious. And every time they just look at you like you're out of your mind. Every time. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. And he goes on and he calls out for salvation. Verse 16 through 18. Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. In other words, it's not just known to me. You know the reproach. You see it. You're well aware 
of my enemies. You're well aware of the ground they're taking. You're well aware of the flood that's rising. You're well aware of every one of their steps and every one of their lies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Even so, reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I mean, isn't this the king that you would just want to love? Are you just tired of leaders who are just full of themselves? I'm tired of watching leaders just full of themselves in the church. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I'm in despair. Here's Jesus. Reproaches. I've looked for pity, but there was none. That is supremely true of Jesus. I looked for pity and for a comforter and there was none. Maybe His disciples were in the garden to be a a level of comfort to Him in His suffering, but then they fell asleep. There was none. And the Father was at that point turning Him over. There was none. Humanly speaking, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. This is Christ on the cross. thirst, right? And then he goes into an imprecatory prayer of judgment for his enemies. In other words, how do we deal with our enemies? Well, one of the ways that we deal with our enemies is by praying imprecatory psalms. Rather than us in our own anger taking vengeance on whoever or whatever, what we do is we actually pray in trust of God for him to act in justice. And even to act now. To deal with their wickedness. It's wicked. Lord, deal with their wickedness. This is one of the ways we trust God as Christians in the face of our enemies. We actually call on God to be just and to act. Deal with the wicked. And we just think there's no place in the Christian life for that. And I think, well, you think there's a place for your anger and vengeance in it. Why don't you find something better than that? Like trust God instead of yourself. Verse 29, but I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. What gladdens his heart? He's turned to God in faith. He's called on the name of God. He's trusting himself to God's justice. But what is it that really gladdens his heart? Verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. Right? The humble aren't gladdened by outward sacrifices and outward forms of religion and outward disinfected behaviors in the Christian life. The humble are never glad with that. What the humble are glad for is when they actually see the people of God humbling themselves in just grateful thanks and praise to Him. That's what makes the humble glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people. 
who are prisoners. Who are prisoners. And that's why our church is so delightful. And we have to be together on what I'm telling you this morning. Right? I mean, if you're leaving and you're the one going, that's a little extreme. I never heard anybody else say that. I just say, read your Bible. Read your Bible. And be willing to actually suffer for the sake of Christ and bear reproaches. I don't want to see you dishonored or brought to shame. I just know that if you just humble yourself a little bit, proud people will hate you. Because your humility is a witness against them. It's a constant witness against them. Your humility condemns them just by walking humbly. Without even saying much. So let the heaven and earth praise him. The seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and the people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Reproaches here. Delight in God in the life to come. Stand with me for prayer, would you? Oh God, deliver us. Deliver us from the hand of our enemies constantly rising up against us. Keep us, O oh Lord, in your steadfast love and your mercies. Hear us, O oh God, when we call upon you, when we need delivered and we need saved. Father, hear us from heaven and be merciful to us. They reproach our church with the reproaches that they have towards you. Deal with the wicked. Reform your church to humility and godliness again in our land. Help us to be faithful in fighting battles that will actually bring humility and godliness and love. Bless the hands. Bless our work, Father, beyond anything we could imagine. Help us to be together in this. as a family who suffers together and who weeps together and who seeks you together and trusts in you together. Help us to be a faith family who lifts one another up in our suffering. Who's willing to humble ourselves enough to be a condemnation to the world and to today's church. To you we cast our eyes and to you we look. You are the one who is our defense and we trust in you. Protect us from our own anger and our own vigilance and our own vigilanteism in the faith and cast ourselves before your justice to do justly. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.